the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, it tells us that a life and ministry characterized by integrity is more than just telling people the truth. It certainly is that, but it's not only that. It means that we have to have a genuine concern for the spiritual welfare of those who we speak the truth to. In the words of Paul in Ephesians 4.15, it means speaking the truth in love. It's not that you just speak the truth. We need to have the right motives behind conveying the truth. That's what makes you one of integrity. Not only the words are true, but your motives are pure as well. I have known some people who only adhere to the first part of that verse, and I imagine you have seen it happen too. Some folks use the truth as a weapon, but God's Word says we are to speak the truth in love. Hello, and thanks for joining us today for Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air. I'm Peter Silseth. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Integrity is something we all want to see in other people. We would also like to be people of integrity ourselves. But it's not easy, is it? Integrity is more than just honesty. Sometimes we know we need to say something to someone, but we fail to do so because the truth will be painful. Or we may take the opposite tack and just blurt it out with no compassion. Sometimes, as they say, the truth hurts. Pastor Steve will be dealing with that and more today on Verse by Verse. Today's class is the middle of a three-part message about the Apostle Paul's defense of his integrity when some of the people in the Corinthian church accused him of dishonesty. If you remember, in our last class, Pastor Steve explained why Paul made an oath to stress his honesty here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's review the reasons why Paul felt the oath was necessary before we move on to look at the reasons why Paul changed his travel plans, upsetting some of the Corinthians. Here is Pastor Steve with our lesson. Now, the reason people have a problem with oaths, some Christians, is because in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus had some very strong words to say against oaths. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. And in verses 34 and 35, Jesus spoke against oaths. But I think that it's a, a misunderstood passage of Scripture, and I want to explain it to you. In fact, had Jesus not said this or had not been in the Bible, I don't think anybody would have a problem with oath-taking. But here's what Jesus said, verse 34 and then 35. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Now, this is troubling to people because Jesus, it looks like he says, take no oaths at all. But in context, not only here, but in the overall context of Scripture, that can't be what he meant. And let me tell you why. First of all, we have examples of, uh, of Jesus taking an oath before the high priest, just before his crucifixion. He took an oath. 
We also have an example in Hebrews 6, and I didn't read it to you, but in the context of our writer telling us that it guarantees the trustworthiness of someone's uh, words, it actually says that when he made a promise to Abraham, God himself swore by himself, for there's no one higher than him. To emphasize the truthfulness of his own word, God actually took an oath. The Apostle Paul, into the inspiration of Scripture, several times takes oath. So, in the overall context of Scripture, Jesus cannot be contradicting what other Scriptures say and what uh, these examples demonstrate for us. Also, in the context of Matthew chapter 5, it is the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus is telling his disciples, do not act like the Pharisees who are hypocrites, who have this external righteousness, but internally they're not righteous. You are to have internal godliness. They just do things for a show, for performance. And that's what he's talking about here. In context, he was condemning not all oath-taking, but rather the man-made hypocritical system that the Pharisees invented. They would use certain words while under an oath that actually they felt allowed them to lie, even though they were taking an oath. And here's what they, here's how they reason. They said, look, it is only wrong to lie when you're taking an oath using God's name. So we won't use God's name. What we'll do is we'll, uh, we'll swear by heaven. We'll swear by earth. We'll swear by the city of Jerusalem. And they, and they came up with all other things. And Jesus just condemns that. You know what it'd be like today? It'd be like someone saying, look, I, I swear that I'm telling the truth, but you know what? Their fingers are crossed. So it's okay, because they had their fingers crossed. That's sort of the same mentality. I take this oath, but I can really lie. It doesn't, I don't have to tell the truth because I didn't take God's name and profane it. That's what Jesus is condemning. That's the point here. Well, Paul, as we go back to 2 Corinthians, is taking an oath and he's using it in the right manner. He is, uh, he is appealing to God himself to validate his words about why he didn't come to Corinth because the Corinthians questioned his honesty. And it's so uh, important that he, he impresses upon them that this is absolutely the truth. So the question remains, why didn't Paul go to Corinth when he certainly originally intended to? He's been accused of making his plans because of self-serving interests, but nothing could be further from the truth. Now, watch this. Look at verse 23 again, and you'll see the reason given. He said, but I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. He was sparing them. Now, the question remains, sparing them from what? What is he sparing them from? You know what? In this verse, Paul doesn't tell us what he's sparing them from. But in the verses that follow in chapter 2, Verses 1 through 4, he tells us what he was sparing them from. At least he gives us a glimpse. They understood, and when I show you some other scriptures, you'll understand. Notice verse 1, but I determined this, no, chapter 2, that I determined this for my own sake, that I would not come to you in sorrow again. Verse 2, for if I cause you sorrow Verse 3, he also says, this is the very thing I wrote so that when I came, I would not have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice. In verse 4, he says, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful. Now, you get, you get the point, at least it should be coming clear to you. Paul wanted to spare them from some kind of sorrow. 
that he knew that his visit, if he came when he originally planned, would bring sorrow upon them. And he says that I want to spare you from that sorrow. The question still remains, what sorrows he's talking about? And he really answers us in two specific passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It won't be clear right away, but once we bring it together, it will be. 2 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse 1. Now, understand the Corinthians knew exactly what he was talking about, but we have to search a little bit and, and figure it out and look at verses and compare verses to other verses. He says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have previously said when present the second time, so this is a second visit that actually isn't recorded for us in the book of Acts, but he said, I previously said when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you, for indeed he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God, for we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. Now, isn't that clear? No, I don't think so. Verse 10. For this reason, I am writing these things while absent, so that when, I, when present, I need not use severity in, in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. You know what he's saying? These verses are referring to Paul coming to them and using his apostolic authority to carry out discipline disciplinary actions towards them. That's why he talks about weakness and power. He said, you think I'm weak? When I get there, you'll see how weak I am. I'll deal with you in severity because of your sin. That's what he wants to spare them from. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he was even more pointed. Let's look back at that. 1 Corinthians 4, his first letter, he's even more pointed, more direct. Verse 18 of chapter 4, he said, Now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. Some have lifted up with pride, think they can do whatever they want, as if I'm only talking and, uh, and, and not going to do any action. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out, not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod? It means a rod of discipline, a rod of reproof, or with love and a spirit of gentleness. He says, you make up your mind. If you repent, then I come with a spirit of gentleness and, and, and compassion. If not, I'm coming with a rod of discipline and I'll deal severely with you and then you'll see how weak I am. That's what Paul is talking about. Now, when you put all of this together, you go back to 2 Corinthians 1 and 2, we understand that the reason Paul changed his plans to initially and originally visit them at that time was he wanted to give them the time and opportunity to repent of their sin, to get their house in order. That's what he's saying. He wanted to give them the opportunity to correct the many sins he had confronted them about in his first letter, as well as the new development of following these false apostles and turning away from him. That's what's going on here. He stayed away from them, listen, not because of a lack of love towards them, but because he loved them so much that he wanted to spare them from the shame and the pain and the embarrassment of reproof and discipline. That is what Paul means by this. Now, I want us to stop here and think about the principle behind Paul's admission of why he changed his mind about visiting. This is a loving thing that he's doing. 
Not because he didn't love them, it's because he did love them. Paul was accused of being self-centered, of being fleshly. But Paul, what we see from this is Paul's motivation all along had been love and concern for the Corinthians. He deeply loved these people. He didn't want them to suffer anymore. His last visit had been very painful with them. He didn't want to deal severely with them again. And what does this tell us about a ministry characterized by integrity? Well, it tells us that a life in ministry characterized by integrity is more than just telling people the truth. It certainly is that, but it's not only that. It means that we have to have a genuine concern uh, for the spiritual welfare of those who we speak the truth to. In the words of Paul in Ephesians 4.15, it means speaking the truth in love. It's not that you just speak the truth. We need to have the right motives behind conveying the truth. That's what makes you one of integrity. Not only the words are true, but your motives are pure as well. And the right motive when we tell the truth is love, which is really defined in the Bible as doing what's best for someone else, whether you feel like it or not. That's what love is. When you really have someone's best interests in mind, you will tell them the truth. Folks, you'll tell them the truth even if it hurts them. That's what Paul did. That's why he's in this predicament in the first place. He hurt them. He doesn't want to hurt them anymore. He wants them to repent. But he had to tell them the truth first to bring them to this point. See, most of us, or many times, we back down from telling people what they need to hear because we don't want to hurt their feelings. But that's not loving. If you love them, you want what's best for them. What's best for someone? To repent, walk with the Lord, not be in sin, the words of Proverbs 27.6, which says this. It's, it's good to write this down. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but, the, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. It is only a true friend who will tell you the truth about yourself, even if it hurts you. It is an enemy, someone who does not love you, who will tell you everything is fine with you when it's not fine. They don't care about you. They're just saying what they're saying so you like them. Paul was a true friend to the Corinthians. And keep this in mind. There is a world of difference between hurting someone and harming someone. If you go to a doctor and he said, well, we're going to have to uh, do this very painful procedure. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt you a little bit. We're going to have to cut on you. Is he harming you? No, at least that's not his intent. He is doing what he's doing in hurting you to help you, not harm you. There is a big difference between hurt and harm. Paul was hurting them because he loved them enough to tell them not what they wanted to hear, but what they needed to hear. As I said, remember, he was only in this predicament of wanting to spare them from the pain of discipline and rebuke because he dared to love them enough to tell them the truth about themselves in the first place, in his first letter to them. Now, it's been many years since as a church we have studied 1 Corinthians, but let me uh, sort of back up a little bit and remind you and for some, it may be new to you what First Corinthians is about. This is a pain. This was a painful letter to Paul. In fact, he said in verse four that he wrote it with tears. There are some many um, very good, capable Bible teachers today who believe that there was another letter between First and Second Corinthians that um, that Paul wrote. And uh, but we don't have it. Um, I, I don't think you can really build a very strong case for that. I think the letter before this that he's talking about was First Corinthians. It was very painful. Let me let me 
share with you some of the things that Paul dealt with, and you'll see how painful it was. He confronted them, first of all, about their clickishness. He said, you're in factions, you're in little cliques. He said that they were spiritually immature. He called them uh, that they were acting very carnal, like little children. He said they were arrogant. They were proud, lifted up with pride. He said they were into philosophy rather than the truth of God. They were into orators and impressed by that kind of stuff. He uh, he condemned them for their immorality that they tolerated in the church. They actually had a, a man with his stepmother having sexual relations. Not only didn't they discipline the man, I take it that the, the stepmother was not a part of the church, but the man was. Not only did they discipline him, they were proud of their tolerance. How liberal-minded they were. How open they were. And Paul deals with them severely in chapter 5. Not only that, but he rebuked them for taking one another to court before human judges. He said, you ought to settle your disputes amongst the, the church, amongst godly people. What are you doing taking your lawsuits before uh, human judges? He condemned them for that. In chapter 7, he has to tell husbands and wives who thought somehow they came up with this notion that it was spiritual to be celibate. And they were married, and Paul said, no, if you are married, you are to have ongoing sexual relations. So he rebuked them about that and enlightened them. Maybe rebuke at that point is too strong, but he enlightened them about that. He also had to deal with the, the women in the church who had a lack of submission to their husbands. In, in uh, the Lord's Supper, he told them in chapter 11 that they were coming to the Lord's Supper and getting some of them were getting drunk and acting like gluttons because they didn't just have a little matzah and a, and a cup that we had. They had actually a whole feast. They had a whole meal. Paul said, you're getting drunk. You're acting like, like gluttons. And because of this, God has disciplined some of you and you're di some of you have died. Some of you are ill because of this. In chapters 12, 13, and 14, he absolutely had to destroy them concerning the abuse of their spiritual gifts. He said, you don't love one another. You're egotistical. You, you, you've turned your church into a, into a crazed kind of meeting where everybody's just speaking at the same time. It's bizarre. That's what he had to tell them. And then in chapter 15, he said, in addition to all of the abuses in your behavior, you have it completely wrong about the doctrine of the resurrection of the body. You've denied that you've embraced Greek philosophy and rejected the truth of the resurrection of the body, which is so straightforwardly taught in Scripture. Now, that was a letter that pained the Apostle Paul. That was a tearful letter. But no matter what the sin issue might be, Paul didn't back down. He told them the truth. Because that's the way love operates. It tells people what they need to hear rather than what they want to hear. Why? Because love cares about the welfare of others, even at the expense of being misunderstood. And Paul was misunderstood. And if you love people the way you're supposed to love people, you will be misunderstood. But the question is, do you love people that way? Do you care so much about their spiritual welfare that you are willing to be misunderstood and have people respond to you negatively for the sake of the truth and their welfare. That's when integrity becomes the issue. And love goes hand in hand with that. That's how Paul was. He only wanted what was best for them. What is best for people, as I said? It is to repent of their sin. Therefore, you speak the truth in them. Do you care enough about people, about your spouse, your children, fellow workers, neighbors, relatives, friends, people in the church, do you care enough about them to tell them the truth? Now, granted, there is the right time 
and the right place and, and the right words, but the attitude should be, I love them so much, I'm going to tell them the truth for their sake, even if they reject me and misunderstand me. And that's where Paul was at. So he delayed coming to them with disciplinary action because he wanted to spare them from sorrow. They already had enough. He gave them time to repent. Now, having brought up the issue of sparing them from the sorrow of discipline that would have come had Paul visited them as he originally planned, he doesn't want the Corinthians to misunderstand him. And at this point, I would assume that the false apostles, as soon as they read this, would have jumped in and said, aha, see, Paul, this is where he's at. He just wants to push you around. He wants to, to throw some apostolic weight around. And so Paul doesn't want to be misunderstood. So as he clarifies what he's just said, he reveals another way that he expressed his love for the Corinthians. He expressed it, number one, by a concern for their spiritual welfare. So he didn't come right away, gave them the opportunity to repent. Secondly, he expressed his love for the Corinthians by a desire to help them grow spiritually. And that's revealed in verse 24. This is to clarify what he's just said. Not that we lorded over your faith, but are workers with you for your joy. For in your faith, you're standing firm. Paul wants them to understand that though he is an apostle and he has apostolic authority to deal with matters of discipline, his role is not to lord it over them. His, his role is not to be a dictator over their faith. He is not the self-appointed spiritual policeman of the Christian community. He says that he's simply a fellow servant, a fellow worker, one who works with them, not over them. But notice verse 24, what, what does he want to produce? He says, we're workers with you for your joy. I want to produce joy in your life, and joy stems from obedience. That, that's where Paul was at. The reason he gives for not being their Lord is that, you know what? They're answerable to another Lord. It's not him. He's not the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. That's what he means by the last expression of verse 24. For in your faith, you're standing firm. In other words, it is by faith in Christ that you stand and not by the demand of human lords. Jesus is your Lord. So you're on your own before him. You answer only to him, not to me or any other human. That's a wonderful truth. And it's important that we need to, to internalize this ourselves. You love people enough to tell them their sin, but about their sin, but though we speak the truth in love, we are to remember that we are not to be spiritual tyrants. We are not to dictate to them. It is not our responsibility to make sure that people do what we think is right. It's not even our responsibility to make sure that they obey the Lord. It's our responsibility to tell them the truth, but it's the Lord who deals with them. Our responsibility is to come alongside of people and to work with them to produce joy in their lives that stem from obedience to Jesus. That's our role. As Pastor Steve said, it's our job to tell the truth in love. Convincing and convicting are roles of the Holy Spirit, and they are beyond our abilities anyway. But no matter how lovingly we express the truth, there will be those who will reject the truth, and that hurts. Yet the Apostle Paul faced much more rejection than we are likely to see, and Jesus faced the ultimate rejection when he went to the cross for us. Thank you for joining us today for another verse-by-verse -verse Bible class of the air. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is leading us in a series of lessons detailing the defense the Apostle Paul made of his integrity. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida for over 26 years. 
Verse by Verse Ministries is thrilled to be able to bring his expository or verse by verse messages to you through this radio station. Verse by Verse Ministries is a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of interested listeners like you who are faithful first to their own home church. Today's class was the middle part of a three-part message, the concluding message in this series. If you would like to hear the entire message at one time, they are available on audio CD or cassette tape. If you would like to order one, please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-441-1714. Our web address is versebyverseradio.org. It's just the place to go if you would like to listen again to today's lesson. We also have previous classes available on our archives page. You might even like to sign up for our free podcasting service. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. One of the things that saddens me is seeing someone who could be living a life of joy and victory living instead in defeat, not enjoying the wonderful fellowship with God that is available. Their unconfessed sin shackles them in lives of spiritual poverty. That bothered Paul a great deal, too. He was deeply concerned for the spiritual welfare of the Corinthian believers. We will learn more about that when Pastor Steve Kreloff returns with another verse-by-verse Bible lesson. I hope to see you then. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.